Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. The newly released Munich Security Conference Report 2024 highlights growing concerns over the lose-lose dynamics, when many governments are forsaking the benefits offered by global cooperation. How can nations avert this vicious cycle? And what are the factors behind the increasing geopolitical fragmentation and waning cooperation between global powers? What are the prospects for global security and stability for 2024? Joining us for our discussion today in Munich is Dr. Benedict Frank, Vice Chairman and Chief Executive Officer at the Munich Security Conference. Uh, Dr. Frank, welcome to Dialogue. So I will start with uh, the report of the Munich Security Conference about uh, the concern of a lose-lose scenario. Uh, can you tell us what's, what are the factors behind such a concern? I think we've seen quite clearly that over the last couple of years we've become pretty bad at creating win-win scenarios that we are more concerned about relative gains than absolute gains. At the beginning of the United Nations, it was all about the absolute benefits of global cooperation, that overall we were better off. And now in the last couple of years, for a number of factors, we've seen that it is, are we gaining more than the other, or are we at least losing less than the other? And we believe there is a very strong case to be made to re-expand the pie, to make sure that we have more to give to everyone, and that there is a, a sort of shared prosperity strategy. Yeah, shared prosperity, a bigger pie. That's the uh, direction, you know, the conference point out for the global uh, community. Uh, but what are the suggestions, you know, we read from the report like like-minded countries should, you know, get a closer cooperation? Uh, does that mean less cooperation with uh, countries with a different political system? See, that's exactly the case of a relative zero-sum thinking. So we believe by cooperating more with third parties, you don't necessarily have to cooperate less with the people you already cooperate with. I think what we have to do is strike a very difficult balance between de-escalation, between de-conflicting, between re-expanding on the one side and on the other side communicating clearly what our values are and standing for them openly and transparently. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I wonder you, your opinions on this relationship between Germany and China, European Union with China, and of course, uh, this part of the world, people are talking about de-risking, you know, uh, there's a concern from the Chinese side that, that will lead to like a reduced reduction of relationship, reduction of trade and investment. Uh, do we have a base, a bottom line, to what a degree the de-risking de will go? So I think there are two things on this. The relationship between Germany and China, between the European Union and China is incredibly complex. Um, there are great aspects to it and there are difficult aspects to it. Uh, there is an increasing awareness within Europe and particularly in Germany that over-dependency on one country, no matter which one it is, and the same is true for over-dependency on, for example, the United States on technology issues, is not necessarily a good thing. And so the German economy is heavily dependent on the Chinese economy and we are heavily dependent on uh, your production capabilities for renewable energy resources. So there, there is an awareness that this over-dependency may need to be reduced, but that, again, doesn't necessarily mean that the overall numbers are reduced if the pie in total gets expanded. 
we used to talk about the interdependence. That's a good thing because bringing people together creates stability, but now we have different views on that. Yes, I think there is a very interesting Where aspect the to that. The, the question is, uh, interdependence is good if it's a mutual dependence as well. That means if both sides are wholly dependent on each other, that creates stability. But we've seen in the case of Russia that we misjudged that. Uh, they were willing to forego the enormous financial resources by threatening to switch off gas supply to Germany. We thought that wouldn't be possible because we thought they need our money as much as we need their gas. And again, I don't think that mistake will be made again. And I always get asked, what's the most real thing about the Zeitenwende? You know, this turn of an area that we see in German politics being more active. I think it is the realization that dependencies that change through trade only work for the benefit of all if they are mutual. And not all dependencies that you've mentioned are mutual. <laughs> all right, a mutual dependence is one definition there. Let's move to the security area, of course, security conference, you know, uh, top priority. Um, what's, what's your outlook for 2024 in terms of the Ukraine situation, in terms of Gaza? So, you know, it's very easy to to be gloomy about the world and we are definitely facing very difficult situations in Ukraine, in the Middle East, in Northern Africa uh, and in other regions of this world. But there are also things to be optimistic about. We are seeing a much more coordinated Global South that is able and willing to define its vision of the world. We see more activism in reforming and developing the international financial architecture. We see good movements out there on climate financing. So yes, I am not very optimistic about some of the conflicts, but I am optimistic that 2024 will be better than 2023. Let me make one point about elections, because everyone at the moment associates 2024 with what they call a super election. And I find the narrative has slipped in the wrong direction. Shouldn't we be absolutely thrilled that we are having the biggest election turnout in human history? Never before as many people have been called to the ballot boxes. But at the same time, we're not rejoicing in that. We're worried about some of these elections. We consider them a threat. We're, we're scared even of the US elections. We need to change the narrative again. There is so much to be optimistic about. And, and even a President Trump, I don't think, will mean the end of the world. Oh, for, for sure. This is not the end of the world. So you mean you are not worried or you are not as concerned as other people about the prospect of having Trump back into the White House? Like in terms of a relationship with the European Union uh, over Ukraine situation, you know, he would probably say, oh, no military aid to Ukraine anymore. I personally believe that's the wrong decision. What I'm saying is not that I support his political messaging or even his style, but this is a decision of the American people. And I think we should rejoice in the fact that this is a democratic system and that so far the institutions have held and that this at the end will come down to a battle of ideas and narratives. And I just hope that the side um, that fights for Ukraine aid, that side that fights for multilateral institutions, the side that fights for development aid is the one that wins at the end. The Chinese foreign minister uh, delivered a speech about the Chinese uh, 
perspective about uh, you know, uh, international security and also China's role in international security, maintaining peace and, uh, and stability. What do you make of that? I, I thought the speech was remarkable and we are thrilled to have uh, Wang Yi back in Munich. Um, we've had the biggest Chinese delegation ever with us this time. A lot of prominent representatives of Chinese top think tanks, for example, joined us too. There were Chinese representatives in many, if not most, of the relevant side events. Um, we actually see serious engagement with the conference and the world out there from the Chinese side. Um, we welcome words of, you know, trying to bring peace. We hope that facts usually speak louder than words. We believe China could do more to pressure the Russian Federation. Um, it has shown its diplomatic prowess in the Middle East. And I very much belong to those that say the more diplomacy comes from China, the better. The more players are trying to bring peace to these conflicts, the better. So those were welcome words and uh, we hope the Chinese delegation found the trip here worthwhile and continues to be ready to have the uncomfortable debates here in Munich. Right, you know, China introduced uh, recently a policy of a free visa-free treatment of people from this country. They can buy a ticket and fly to China. Um, I, I would say see, people see this as, as a goodwill gesture to strengthen people-to-people -people bond between Germany and China. Uh, what, what do you make of that? You know, like obviously from the Chinese point of view, they want to maintain or improve the relationship with Germany. I'm pretty sure that Germany has all interest in the world to continue to improve the relationship uh, with Beijing. Um, things like visa-free travel are a blessing, an absolute blessing, and we should have more of them. And I think the more engagement points you have between populations, the better, because it will hopefully also shape the political discourse. Thank you, Dr. Frank. Thank, Thank you, you so for your for time. On the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi met with his Argentinian counterpart, Diana Modino. Wang Yi stressed China is willing to deepen mutual trust and cooperation with Argentina, and that the two nations have always shared friendship towards each other. I spoke with the Foreign Minister Mondino during the Munich Security Conference. She said Argentina seeks to improve ties with China, and there is no need for countries to be concerned about the role of China. Minister, I have a question about uh, you know, Argentina's relationship with China. You know, the government uh, is new. Uh, when it uh, was formed, you know, there was a talk of uh, say, um, uh, readjustment of China policy, if not bring off with China. So only in the media. Neither our yeah. president, your So, president how do you describe your China, China policy now? No, no, no. I mean, it, let me go backwards. Uh, what uh, our president, Javier Milen, explained yes. is that we will not have deals among governments. And that may be difficult to understand from abroad, but we come from a country where most decisions were made by the government in the sense that what could be sold, at what price it should be sold, what kind of uh, timing would be. And that is what we are, our, as our new government will not be doing. Private sector will do it. And they will be able to deal with whomever they want, be it in China or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, so the stress on the em emphasis, let's say, is on the private sector. And uh, yeah, private sector, trade and investment between private sectors and yeah. inside the pri private no, sector. No, inside the private, Argentine private sector with whoever they want. It may be mm -hmm. a, a government. So it's but up to them. Yes, what we're saying is our government will not be imposing these decisions and that we will have a free market. How do you characterize the role, you know, 
played by the Chinese investors individually or privately or private investors or, I don't know, maybe state-owned companies that do investment or do trade with Argentina. Argentina, as you know, we're in a security conference and there's a lot of concern about the role of China in general as regards critical minerals, as regards investments. We don't have that kind of concerns for a variety of reasons and we hope we will never have them. And the situation with, again, China or any other country, because, I mean, you're Chinese uh, and you're asking because for the Chinese TV station, but yeah. it's going to be the same for everybody. We're going to try to have a level playing field with the same rules for everybody. Mm, same rule for everybody. Um, well, uh, how about like the dialogues or let's say, you know, any plan visit to China or Chinese visit to Argentina? Oh, I would love to, uh, as, and as soon as possible. Actually, I do have an invitation to go to China. I have to set up. We've only been in government for 64 days now, and that's including the, the, the Sunday of the inauguration. So we are working hectically on a variety of issues, and I would certainly love to go to China, and of course, Anyone will be more than welcome. Yeah, and 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 of course, you know, what part of the uh, reforms? Uh, you know, how is it going on? Uh, we, you know, everybody talking about the radical reform. You know, how about yes. the state? Uh, we are yeah. going through a set of very radical reforms as compared to what we had previously. Again, as together what we had two months ago, uh, because it was a tightly regulated uh, economy with a lot of inflation and on top of that because of a variety of misguided decisions the, uh, the poverty in our country has increased i mean you come from a country that has significantly reduced poverty ours has increased it uh, it's about 40 per 45 percent of people in general are poor but 60 percent of our children are poor and that was not the case 20 years ago so we are going to try to make everything that we can to do that and deregulation is probably one of the most important things. At the same time, we need to curb inflation. Uh, it's hard to understand from somebody listening to us, but uh, a few weeks ago, we had 30% per month inflation. Mm -hmm. uh, but two days ago, it was released. The January inflation was 20. 20%. And it was such a relief. And I mean, 20 is a good Congratulations. News. No, but 20 cannot be good news in any reason. No, but it's a... Compared to yeah. what it was yeah. uh, 60 days ago. So, uh, uh, you know, back to this, uh, you know, foreign relationship where is yeah. that's your expertise and your your area. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the president Millet used to talk about uh, all is reportedly saying that um, you know it has problems with uh, Brazil, with China, you know, the two largest trading that's partner of this country. Said. No, that's not what he said. That's the way it was portrayed in the media by the other presidential ca candidate who, of course, he wanted to win. That's not what he said. What he said is something about the personality. Of, of, of uh, some some people, not only China or Brazil, many other ones, and how he considered them, but not as regards the relationship among the private sector and the other countries. Mm -hmm. Not about the relationship between countries, between Argentina and China, between Argentina and Brazil. Formally, no. Actually, we hope to improve it and we hope to further enhance it. We are not as worried as many other countries might be on the, um, actually, the great increase or the great significance that China has in global trade, actually, we enjoy having a, a, a little chunk of that 
uh, foreign trade that China has. Well, uh, Argentina products are very popular. I have to say that, you yes. know, beef and, uh, and the wine and everything wine, in China. Yes. No, we have to, it's now you are exporting um, commodities, wheat, soya, corn mm. and other things. But we have a lot of products that can, yeah. if people want to have them, yeah. so be it. That's, uh, that's you know, I, th I think, I believe you, you earlier said that, that uh, you know, Argentina needs to boost the export to yes. other parts of the world yes. uh, to, to, kill, to reduce this uh, trade deficit issue, yes. right? Yes. So we China is a large market. And China can also produce a lot of things that we actually need. For example, we need machinery, we need equipment. Many of those things may not come from China, but some inputs or, or some uh, things that we need for everyday production may or not come from China. We want to open to everybody. We will buy the best quality that, that we can. And Openness and be equal, free. As keywords. If we don't do it that way, we will keep on having the same kind of problems we've had in right. the past. Right. Uh, why would the government decide who buys what? That has to disappear. Perfectly reasonable. And uh, well, it, back in China, it's still the period of the Chinese New Year. Anything to say to the Chinese people? Uh, anything to say? Well, if you want something little and red and beautiful, you can have Argentine uh, cherries and have a Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Thank you, Thank you Minister. Thank you. Thank you for your time and insight. Thank you for speaking with us. And next, I spoke with Graham Allison, Douglas Dillon Professor of Government at Harvard University, who coined the phrase Thucydides' trap, a theory which describes when the dominant power's position is threatened by a rising power and the likely conflict that will come as a result. Are China and the U.S. on a collision course for inevitable conflict? and what are his observations on the Munich Security Conference, which analyzes the security situation in the world today. Welcome to Dialogue, Professor. Thank you. Uh, so if you look at the report for this year's uh, security conference, you know, it raises the prospect of a lose-lose situation. And I, I, I understand that you know, the purpose is to avoid that kind of scenario. Do you agree with that kind of concern? I think basically, yes. I think the... the uh, you can't look at the war in Ukraine and the war in Gaza and uh, uh, other events around the world and not say uh, what's going on and are we in a period of greater danger than we would have imagined we were in five years ago or ten years ago. But I would say on the other hand we should keep in mind the big picture and the big picture in my view is best summarized in three numbers, 78, 78, and nine. And if you know the questions to which of those, each is the answer, you get the big picture. So 78 is the number of years without a great power war. This is a historically unprecedented long peace. It's a great accomplishment. It's impressive, yeah. It's fragile. Mm -hmm. 78, second, is the number of years since nuclear weapons were used in a war. Again, unbelievable. Uh, but a great achievement uh, was thrown into some risk when Putin was looking at the possibility of conducting nuclear strikes on Ukraine, which he might look at again, uh, so not to be taken for granted. And then nine is, there are only nine nuclear weapon states. Well, that's incredible. Uh, so the, f f the international security order that has allowed you and me to live our whole lifetime without Great power war. I mean, there was World War One. There was World War Two. You go back historically, there were wars always every 50 or so years. 
and without another use of nuclear weapons in our whole lifetime, amazing. Okay. Be grateful. <laughs> and nine, extremely grateful. And that's not to take anything for granted, but I think that you would need to look at both, you know, the big picture and then locate the lose-lose within that. Well, you mentioned about the nuclear weapons, of course, they're Rat talks, at least among some politicians in this country, Germany, and also say general in Poland, talked about oh, probably we need uh, we we need to go nuclear to protect ourselves. What do you make of that kind of? Uh... Well, I think it reminds us again how strange it is that there's only nine nuclear weapon states. So, if nuclear weapons are good for China or good for the U.S. or good for Russia, why are they not good for me? Okay. Uh, if I'm another country. They're an old technology. If North Korea can have nuclear weapons, anybody can virtually. Okay, so uh, the, the non-proliferation world, which has been built over these 78 years, is unnatural. And we need to appreciate that. And that's why, again, I think that the stakes of the countries that have nuclear weapons including China and the U.S., in maintaining this order in which there's not a spread of nuclear weapons. Yes. Meant for it. Yeah. Right, right. Well, you know, back to what you said about the big picture. Of course, China, U.S., this, uh, the two largest economy relationship of them, uh, defines not only their ties, but also the global order in a sense. Uh, the two leaders, they met uh, last year at San Francisco. Um, where are we now? What do you make of the relationship, the current uh, situation? I think the meeting in San Francisco and what my Chinese colleagues called the spirit of San Francisco was a, was a big, big accomplishment. I think that it demonstrated that we have two sane leaders who each understand that war would be catastrophic for their own countries, who understand that historically misunderstandings and miscalculations and misjudgments can sometimes drag people into wars that they didn't intend and they clearly do not intend to have a war between the U.S. and China and they therefore that requires talking privately, candidly, very explicitly, uh, not necessarily agreeing but where we disagree being clear what we disagree about and not allowing some you know, misunderstandings and miscalculations to mislead us in a way. Can we say the relationship is um, being stabilized? I think stabilized, and mm -hmm. and particularly because it had been uh, de deteriorating so steadily, and there had been almost no, you know, no floor or no base, and the question was where and how far could this go, and because the candid communication between the parties had largely, you know, ceased. So the, uh, one of the things that Xi Jinping said to Biden at the uh, San Francisco meeting was, if you have a real issue, you can get on the phone and call me. Well, excuse me, that's exactly what you would like adults to do. So if, you're, if you have a real problem and you're going to do something dramatic, you know, at least tell me in advance, uh, or let's see if we can work the thing out. Uh, uh, so I think that's uh, quite healthy, and I think the be it's not just words. If you look at the behavior, the working group on counter-narcotics and fentanyl is doing something and making a difference. Mm -hmm. You 
are very famous in back around the world. I would say in China, of course, included you know, for this uh, few cities trip um, and your book there. So can we say we are working quite well to avoid that kind of trap? Well, unfortunately, I I would like to say that, but I I don't think that would be correct. I think uh, at Davos this year. I was asked uh, this question, uh, you know, so what would Thucydides say now? So I said, uh, uh, I suspect he would say uh, both parties are pretty much on script, each uh, almost as if they were competing to see which could better exemplify the classic rising bower or the classic ruling bower, and that therefore the uh, risk of a collision is increasing. Uh, and now, I would say, uh, fortunately, uh, San Francisco was, you know, something on the positive side. But the structural reality is that China is a meteoric rising power. That China is determined, or Xi Jinping's China, determined to make China great again. The great rejuvenation of the great Chinese people. Xi Jinping believes and wants and hopes that China will be restored to its normal place in the world, which in his view is at the center of the universe, the way it was before the centuries of humiliation. And if I were Chinese, I suspect I would sign up for that, okay? The U.S. believes and American leaders believe that in the aftermath of World War II, the U.S. played the lead role in creating an international order a security order that's given us the 78 years, and an economic order in which countries have had the opportunity to see greater increases or their, to produce greater increases in their well-being of citizens in history. And no beneficiary more than China. I mean, China was a poor country, a poor developing country in 2000 when it came into the WTO. If China continues more or less on its current trajectory, it'll be bumps and bumps. Uh, there's four times as many Chinese as there are Americans. Chinese are pretty smart, they're pretty hardworking, so let's imagine they're half as productive, only half as productive as Americans. They're gonna have a GDP twice the US. Oh my God, that's shocking to Americans. They, 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 so, oh, that's so a calculation. The, so the, so the, the structural reality is this is going to be a fiercely competitive mm -hmm. relationship. On the other hand, at the same time, uh, we both have nuclear arsenals such that we are in a version of mutual assured destruction so that if we had a nuclear war, we'd end up destroying all of China and all of the U.S. Uh, Ronald Reagan, thinking about this, said, wait a minute, a nuclear war cannot be won the end of your, your country is destroyed, that's not a victory. So it must never be fought. So now we have to do whatever we have to do to make sure we're not going to have a war. Mm -hmm. Big, okay? Secondly, we live in the same biosphere in a small, on a small planet. And either party's greenhouse gas emissions go into the same biosphere. So it doesn't matter whether it comes from China or it comes from the U.S., the, we're on a trajectory where we could make the whole biosphere uninhabitable for everybody. You know? So we have a common interest in right. The financial system is so entangled that when the Americans made a great financial crisis in 2007-8 in Wall Street, we would have had a Great Depression if it wasn't for China and the U.S. 
working together with a stimulus to prevent that. So we have a lot of very shared interests. So that, I think the problem is, and the reason why the relationship was so difficult, and why it will be so difficult to manage, of course, a great statecraft. So. Thank you, Professor. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you for your time and insight. Yeah.